You're listening to the Wilderness Warrior Podcast, forging dangerous men in wild places. Welcome to the Wilderness Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Eric Kahn, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Dan Burkholder. He has just shaved his head again because he knew there was a show coming. Gotta look good for the video. That's right. You gotta <laughs> look good for the video. And we have a very special guest with us today. We have Mr. Quinn Bible. Quinn is a butcher, and he is also an avid fan of the Hard Man Podcast. That's how I got to know Quinn. Quinn, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it, man. So, Quinn, I want to start with a little bit about what you do. Uh, folks can check out, and we'll include these in the show notes, at saltandstrings.com. This is your butchery, and it's a family-owned business. I want to ask you just how you got into it. <laughs> well, um, I purchased it in 2016. Uh, it was a, just a local kind of mom-and-pop butcher shop, wild game processing uh facility and uh <clears throat> i was actually living in tennessee at the time and i got word that it had uh it had uh, come up for sale so uh my wife and i decided to pack our bags and move back to my hometown and, and buy the store and uh man it's been a blessing been a lot of a lot of challenging times and a lot of rewarding times um but yeah at, at salt and strings we mainly focus on well, a big part of our business is wild game processing uh, and we're in Southern Illinois, so we we focus primarily on whitetail deer. Um, and then we we have like a, a retail meat counter, and we'll we specialize in whole animal butchery as well. So um, Angus beef and and heritage hogs and all that good stuff. So that's kind of the yeah, scoop. that's awesome. Uh, but but about six months out of my six months out of my year, I'm uh, I'm skinning deer and making sausage and and packaging and, and doing the whole bit. So it's uh, it's it's good work. So how long did you say that you've been doing it now altogether? I guess 2016 we purchased it. So, um, but it, it's funny because I worked there as a cleanup boy in high school. It was like my, my oh, co-op cool. job. Yeah. For, uh, for the guy who owned it previously and had no interest, you know, in doing it then I grew up on a farm. So I kind of was used to that style of work, you know, but, um, it wasn't until I moved away and, um, got a taste of the city life. I kind of realized I want to be back on the farm and back, back in small town USA. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, five, five years now, five, six years. So coming up on five years. Awesome. Yeah. And I went into it knowing absolutely nothing. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, I'm serious, man. We bought it and, uh, you know, I had two guys that had worked there for, uh, I would say over 10 years. Right. And they're, they're pros, they're master, master butchers. And they kind of took me under their wing and, um, taught me, you know, showed me the ropes. And I was kind of, kind of learning as I was learning how to run the business and, and cut meat and all that stuff at the same time. So it was a school of hard knocks there for a while. It was pretty, pretty interesting. time. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. And you, and you mentioned this, um, something that, uh, we just covered on the hard men podcast was, uh, Rory Grove's book, the durable trades. And one of the things that interested me is there really is a history, even in the U.S. world history, of trades that are durable because they've always existed. And one of those trades that's listed in the book is being a butcher. 
And one of the things that really struck me, and this I think relates to masculinity in general and some of the topics we talk about on the Wilderness Warrior podcast, is that he says in the book, with most of these durable trades, you really have to have a master. Like, Mm -hmm. and you can attest to this, but like to be a, a good butcher, like you couldn't just watch some YouTube videos and just hope to figure it out, right? Oh man, there's no way. I mean, you can learn a lot. Don't get me wrong. Um, right. You can get you can get the idea of the basics, but you know, a master butcher, a guy who is on the table, you know, where we will cut sometimes for eight hours a day. Um, wow. And you don't you, you don't learn, you know, the ropes until you actually put your hands on the animal and 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 learn just the. There's so many nuanced things that you learn as you get your hands on one. Um, and you're always improving, you know. Uh, you know, I'm definitely not even close to some of the guys out there. There's a lot of great meat cutters out there, but um, I, can get the, I can get the meat off the bone, you know. That's right. It's interesting because as a trade, it really, I mean, there's certainly an art to it, especially when you, as we'll talk about it in a little bit, but when you bring it to actually food prep, um, it, you kind of have a unique perspective. Um, as a butcher, because you kind of see it from from mostly field to table, if not yeah. completely. And so, you know, like, while I'm cutting up this animal, I know what I'm looking for in terms of cuts. I know how this is going to prepare. I know what parts to separate and uh, all of that good stuff. I want to mm-hmm. ask you first, though, before we delve into some of that, I want to yeah. ask you, what are the benefits you see of working in a durable trade and particularly with your wife? Oh, wow. (laughs) Um, so many things, man. I mean, as far as she's the biggest blessing in my life, um, she takes care of a lot of, you know, the, the paperwork and that side of the business, why I focus on the trade aspect of things and raising our daughter and all that stuff in the meantime. So we're able to work together. Um, but she can stay home, you know, and we're, we're trying to gear our lives towards that lifestyle for sure. Um, so that's, you know, so important. But as far as the value in it, um, I learned the real value um, in the trade when the pandemic, like I really, truly understood how important and essential, you know, it is to, to, you know, we're not, we don't even cut close to the amount of meat like a Walmart or a Kroger or a place like that would. But, you know, we were filling our fresh meat case four or five times a day during that, um, you know, when they were issuing the lockdowns and all that stuff. So we were doing three, four times the amount of volume we normally do. And that just energized me, man. That just absolutely made it. It was, it was just a, it was important to me just to stick it out. It's really interesting that uh, even in good times, you know, a trade like yours is in demand, but then it's, it's one of those things. It is like the definition of anti-fragile. Whereas when times get harder, your position is actually strengthened. Right. Because I, I know even locally during 2020 with the increase in like backyard uh, meat production. So people doing like pigs and cattle and stuff like that. I mean, slaughtering, you better schedule that out before you get that animal. Cause it's months, months out. You're exactly right. And it's, I mean, that's, it's that way, even where you guys are at, I know you guys are separated by States, but you know, I mean, even in Illinois where some plants are two years out to get a slaughter date. Um, so oh, really, <laughs> two years that's crazy because everybody here you know a lot of guys still have livestock you know um we're we're really rural you know we're we're kind of in the middle of nowhere so everybody kind of raises their own food too but um 
yeah, it's it, you're definitely reminded of just just the necessity of being able to break down those animals to to cut these cuts, to grind the hamburger, to all that, um, because communities need it. You know, we need it to to survive. So it's it's encouraging work, man. It really is. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think one of the things that really highlights we've been talking about this, and and Dan, this is kind of to your point, but it's a fascinating thing that when the you know the pandemic hit. And you had all this stuff going on. The things that were essential to daily life actually like became more important. And so one of the things that I saw rise in um, from talking to a number of guides, I know this was true in Colorado, they made this report, but hunting numbers were the highest they've ever been. Now, there's a couple yeah. factors in this, but one is certainly when you're locked in your house, you know, and you have to stare at the wall for, you know, a year, yeah. you know, yeah. when it was supposed to be two weeks to flatten the curve turned into like 10 years of lockdowns and masks and everything else, <laughs> right? Just tons of crazy. So then it was like, okay, people are realizing, wow, it is essential for men to get outdoors, to mm -hmm. use their hands, to move their bodies, to get sunlight. And then with the hunting too, I think I saw a lot of guys much more interested in the food production level of wild game because realistically, especially in a state like Illinois, I, I live there too. And it's like, yep. okay, well, I can get a tag and a bunch of does on there. It's pretty cheap for a resident. And that meat goes a long way. So I want to transition, Quinn, now into talking about some of the game prep and, and deer processing. I know you do a lot of it. But I want to I start out by asking you, what are the worst things, that, like typical things, what are the worst things that you see on a normal basis? You mean just in just as far as receiving deer and, and skinning and all that that whole process? Yeah, exactly. It could be like the dude who is like, "Hey, Quinn, I got this deer. It's been in my truck for a week. Yeah, I just brought it to you. Make it taste great." Yeah. <laughs> Any of that? I have this sign in my office that says, "We have the right to refuse deer for any reason," and I I call the shots on that. Right. right? So if it doesn't meet if it doesn't if it doesn't come up to code you know it goes out the door i'm sorry you know you just have to be like that in right. this industry um but yeah it's it's usually usually it's uh like a mid-october bow kill <laughs> and it's it's a 170 inch deer and everybody's jacked up and they want to see it and they drive around with it for three days and you know it, it gets to me and i'm like you know sorry man i can't do anything with it i've got it you know, I, you would be disappointed if you got this back. So, uh, right. you know, a lot of that, a lot of it is just temperature. You know, people don't realize sometimes the, the uh, short amount of time they have from after you harvest that animal, um, you know, to gut it and, and get it cleaned out, wash it out and get it to the processor if you do it at home. Um, if you don't have good temperatures, you know, if you're over 50 degrees, honestly, in my opinion, um, the clock is ticking. And you've got to be making a plan to do something with it. Yeah. How long would you recommend guys? Like what, what's your time frame to getting it in? As far as getting it to me, if the, if I would say if it's a warm day within two hours, you know, if, if it's, if it's, if it's an early archery or, um, you know, like I said, a below 50 degrees, um, you know, it's easy. We'll skin it and we'll put it in our cooler and it's running like 33 degrees. So, you know, why, why play the game, you know? I don't know. I mean, I haven't really had too many awful experiences. Um, you know, sometimes shot placement, you know, where did you shoot the animal? Did you shoot it in the stomach? You know, and if you did, a lot of people, we've all done it, you know. Um, 
you've got to get that thing cleaned out. You've got to get it washed out yeah. ASAP. Because as soon as that stomach matter gets on on the flesh, it's it can get real weird real fast. Is that um typical recommendation is just to just wash it out with water or what? Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> I would say that's probably the 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 first first thing you can do. You know, a lot of guys like to ice them out here in the Midwest. They'll they'll get some bags of ice and and cool them out. You know, if it say it wasn't a gut shot, say it was just a just a clean heart shot or lung shot. Um, you know, field dress it of course, and then um, pack it full of ice just to kind of cool the flesh down. But um, yeah, definitely hitting that thing with a garden hose <laughs> doesn't hurt. Yeah, I know one of the questions that I've often had in the backcountry is, of course, I've never done this. I'm sure Dan has, but uh, gut shooting an animal. Dan, I, that was a shot. I'm going to let you respond to that. Have you gut shot an animal? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I, well, you know, Eric, when you shoot as many deer as I do, you're going to miss one every once in a while. And I just happen to miss them in the guts. That's where I hit them. So, no, I've only, I've only had one. Well, I've had two probably. I had one that was a weird, like straight down from the tree stand shot with my bow. And I hit like one lung and got liver and guts and oh. it was a mess. It was a mess. And the other yeah. one was a muzzleloader kill. So that just like kind of blew up its stomach. And, and so Dan, I, I was actually lying before I've, I've definitely gut shot animals. Uh, but I just wanted to see if, you know, what was your manly response to being, you know, kind of. I was teasing you a little bit, so I wanted to see what was going to happen. You did well, by the way. Uh, I, you know what? I'll take responsibility. I'll take responsibilities for my mistakes. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I shot uh, a cow in the guts. I can't remember when this was. My maybe ten years. Uh, but one of the challenges, Quinn, and I was going to ask you this: is you're in the back country, and you don't a lot in that situation. Like I didn't have a lot of water. Um. So really, what we tried to do is like. I actually took my brother's water bottle and like rinsed off the inside. <laughs> Sorry, bro. That's what brothers are for, though. Um, but just just kind of like rinse it off, wipe it down as as good as possible, and then try to get it in and 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 wipe it down. But it brings up a good question. There's kind of two things. Like if you're on a farm, and or you know just rural property, and you can get a deer in right away, um, definitely do that. For the guy who's like quartering in the field, hanging meat bags, that sort of thing, anything that, that you would see and say like, here's kind of the process and what you need to do. I, I know cooling it off, right, is we're typically told that you want to get it in a bag, hang it, cool it. What would you say? Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of my experience, we're in the Midwest, so, you know, we're not packing, we're not really packing it out a long distance like you guys have experienced. Um Right. But I think, I think like what you mentioned, you, you did, you did the right thing. You try to get all that you could, you know, you, maybe you wiped it up or maybe you washed it out the best, you know, the best of your ability. But, um, like I, I go, always go back to temperature, you know, that's like the killer yeah. in, in quality. It really is with a perishable product like that. I mean, you've got to get it to either a cooler somewhere. If you're packing it out of camp, get it in some coolers, get it packed with ice, you know, I mean, even packed packed in ice, you know, you, I've seen guys leave them in there day and a half, two days, and it's still good. Um, yeah. But if you don't do that and you wait, you know, you wait a day to do that in camp, you're 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 just asking for problems, you know. And I'm sure people have pulled it off, you know. But it just in my mind and everything I've seen, um, that's kind of that that that's the advice that I would give. But Eric, hopefully one day I can I can 
I could tag an elk man and, and kind of get to oh, live that out because that would be that would be a dream, man. That's oh yeah, we can make your dreams come true, Quinn. That's what the Wilderness <laughs> Warrior podcast is about. <laughs> That's a big promise. Not everyone's dreams. <laughs> can you promise that I'm going to get an elk this year? I don't know. <laughs> Your guys' hunt sounds stressful, man. I, uh, it really does. I, I like listening to it. And I think about my, my luscious uh, walk to the uh, the sanctuary south of my house and cl- climbing up in the, in the tree stand and, you know, calling call it, uh, I get I get tired and hungry. I just walk home, you know, 100 yards, I'm done. Man, I... I miss early season archery. You shoot, you shoot a doe and you can have it like in a cooler in like an hour, man. Those are the Dan, days. You're, you're from Wisconsin, right? So you, you grew up kind of hunting whitetail, right? Yeah. Yeah. I grew up hunting whitetail. So, you know, I got, I got some questions. I'm, I'm, I imagine your average customer is just a guy who's like, I don't really care. I have to eat it, you know, grind it up, grind up the whole deer. Is that, would you say that's your average customer to a degree like steaks and hamburger? That's all I care about. Sure. A lot of guys just like, they want the back straps and they want the inside tenderloins and, you know, make it into hamburger. And then, um, in this part of the world, you know, some guys will opt, maybe they'll add some fat to the burger, maybe some pork fat or some beef fat. Um, we even had some guys add some bacon to it and it's actually pretty delicious that way too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I would say that's pretty standard on the cut list. There are some guys, I mean, when you get to the, when you get to the hind, the hind roast, you know, and you want those cut into steaks, it just, it's just a matter of, do you know how to cook with it? Um, because a lot of people mm-hmm. know how to cook back straps, but they really don't know what to do with the front shoulders because it's a whole totally different cooking methods, you know, up, up and down the animal. You can't just, you can't just cook them all like steaks, you know? So, um, but yeah, there's a lot of guys that, that, that really do make some great recipes with it and they get the whole thing cut up. But so do you, so do you ever get the guy and this would be me, by the way, I'm just showing you my hand. Who's like, your cut sheet, it stinks. Your cut sheet stinks. I need more details. Like there's just, I'm just going to be so picky about what you do with my meat. They're asking you if you, you know, could you French the ribs on my backstrap, you know, or something weird like that. Yeah. Make some tomahawk, uh, loin yeah. chops for me, please. That's I'll right. Show these things off. Yeah. 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 Um, not really, not, not in that side of things. I see that sometimes in, in, in the, on the, you know, beef processing side, you know, a lot sure. of guys are watching Franklin, Franklin barbecue and stuff and getting all jacked up and wanting it cut up a million different ways. But, um, not, not really in wild game, not around here anyway. Um, it cut and the cut sheet's pretty straightforward. You know, I, I start at the top, I said, do you want your shoulder roast? Do you want your neck roast? You know, and then it goes right down to the loins. How do you want your loins prepared? We can cut them into steaks for you. We can, we'll leave them whole. We'll take the silver skin off. Um, We can tenderize them for you. You know, you can do a lot of things there. And then you get down to the hind quarters and then we can do round steaks, rump roast, sirloin tip roast, shanks, you name it. Yeah. No, that's, that's really interesting. I'm just curious. Have you ever done any experimenting with aging of deer? Like hanging them skin on in the cooler and like, let's just see how long the sucker can go. Yeah, I had a guy room me one. He hung it for like three weeks one time. Thing was like shoe leather, man. It was, <laughs> it, it was pretty tough. It was pretty tough, but you know, it is really good that way. If you can let him hang, I would say, you know, even on a beef, I'll let a beef hang for 14 days before I even take my knife to it. Um, that, that, yeah, that's kind of a sweet spot. You know, there, there's a lot of guys that dry age for a lot longer than that. There's a lot of plants that do too. And, and after 14 days, in my opinion, it becomes a flavor you know, becomes a flavor debate. You know, what do you like? Um, because things really start to open up there. But as far as uh, venison, 
uh, a week is good, in my opinion. I don't like cutting them the next day um, because everything's all rubbery. I know, you know, you get in situations sometimes and you have to, but, um, <clears throat> you know, a week is good, a week and a half. Um, and kind of our flow at, at our plant, you know, th they will hang that long because we'll get, I think, first gun season last November, we had almost 200 turned in, in the, on the weekend. So we we had some we had we had some hang time man everybody was getting getting dry aged meat back <laughs> for free <laughs> the dry aging was included in the price man yeah yeah that's crazy so you're you're busy like just you don't even get to cut that weekend you're just bringing no, in deer we we skin i skin we we'll skin from cuz like first gun season runs friday saturday sunday it's like the third weekend in november and uh you know we'll just get pounded we'll skin for 12 hours and then um, we'll do that for three days, and then um, the, there's a there's a break. So that next week we'll we will cut everything we got in from that weekend, and we'll process everybody's individual orders. Um, and that time we're just rolling them out of the cooler onto the table, filling the ticket, and then we're grinding their hamburger and packaging it for them. Man, and it's just a system like that for for a week, sometimes week and a half. Um, and usually at that time in Illinois, temps are you know no problem. 40 degrees, you know, of a high, you know, maybe probably getting down into the thirties too. Um, so yeah, that's, it's a little bit of the flow. So I've seen some interesting YouTube videos on skinning techniques because anybody that's skinned a deer, especially a cold one knows that it's kind of a pain in the backside. Do you guys have any tips or tricks or are you just like, no, we've do, we do 200 deer in a weekend. So we just do it with a knife that's sharp and we know what we're doing. That's what, that's what I do. I have a, I really like a lamb skinner. Um, that's kind of what I've, uh, gravitated towards over the years, you know? Um, cause when you do that many, you start to get a feel for it, but we skin on the cradle. Um, so picture the deer laying in like a, basically laying on its back. Right. Um, I know there's a lot of plants even in Illinois that skin like upright on a, on a gamble. Um, and I don't, we just don't do it that way. We do it on the, we do it on the cradle like that. It's just a welded, we, you know, we had a guy weld us up some cradles, set them in there. You pop the, you, you know, pop the joints, you get the, you get the legs off and then you skin down the front, you know, up into the front shoulders. And then, um, you skin basically down and around and expose the, the inside cavity. And then you do the same thing on the hind quarters and then we winch them up and then we pull the hides. Oh, okay. So. I haven't graduated to a height height floor yet. I guess I just I just want the pump, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah, man. It's 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 a, it really works fast. You know, we me and one other guy, my friend Anthony. Um, he's the head other head butcher there, man, and and we we can knock him out pretty. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Quinn, I, I want to ask you kind of transition here because uh, you sent me a video, and I think we're going to be sharing that on the Wilderness Warrior Podcast uh, website. But uh, you sent me a video of some corn venison, and well, it hit me right for a couple of reasons. Number one, because I got the video from you on St. Patty's Day, and if you're not thinking about corned beef, or in this case, corn venison on St. Patty's Day, I, I want to say you're not American, but you're not Irish. You're not pretending to be Irish. I don't know what you aren't, but it's not right. <laughs> so... Tell me, the first thing I want to ask you is you did something very unique. Um, you, you made the corned venison, but then you smoked one of them. 
So if, if you would just walk me through, let's start with that one. Tell me about the, your process, where you started with the cut of meat you started with, and just walk me through it. Yeah, so I had some, uh, some rump roast in the, in the freezer. And, uh, you know, standard approach to that would be throw it in a crock pot and walk away for eight hours and, you know, come back and you're, you're eating pot roast. But, you know, I was like, right. man, it'd be kind of fun to brine that like we would a, like a ham or anything else on the on the other side of the processing world, you know. Um, so I started to think about it and uh, we we ended up making a brine for it and got the spice and, and threw that baby in there and just kind of waited for five days. And man, what came out? I was really impressed with, <laughs> with it, honestly. Uh, it turned out great. And then, and, and kind of what I wanted to demonstrate in that video um, with one brine, we, we made two different products, right? So we had the, you know, we cut it in yeah. half after the curing process was finished and we, we boiled one half like you would a corned beef. Um, and then we, uh, smoked the other one. Um, uh, we rubbed it down with a pastrami rub, which is pretty simple. And then, um, smoked it for like two hours at, at about 200, about 225 degrees. And then with a pastrami kind of, you wrap it up and let it steam a little bit to retain some moisture. And then, uh, you're eating pastrami after that. Oh man, it looks so good. So do you, my first question on that one, are you making or are you buying a pastrami rub? I, we, we just bought the spice and just blended it here. Um, it, it's simple. It's, it's basically coriander, cra cracked black pepper, some brown sugar, a couple other things in there. But yeah, pastrami rub, super easy, super easy. I mean, you, there's a lot of great ones out there you could buy too. Oh, okay, but, cool. You know, I'm not against that, but we just had some stuff laying around in the pantry. So I thought, what the heck? So you, you smoked it and then are you, it, it looked like maybe it's like a slight boil in a skillet with some water. Uh, yeah. So to prepare it, um, I had a chef tell me one time, like that's a really good way to warm corned beef Interesting. And, and pastrami. He was like, you want to steam it. Um, so I was Interesting. like, yeah, I wouldn't have thought of that. Yeah. You know, you could, I guess you could zap it in the microwave, but you know. It's is like, that because of the moisture? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the cure, the cure is already already helping in that the brine process, you know. Um, yeah. But why not add some more? You know, so it, it was like two minutes, I think, on a like a three or four on the stovetop, and uh, you know, we just threw that in there, a little bit of water, and then let it go for a minute, and then cover it, uh, and 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 steam it, and then put it on the cutting board, and then when you make the sandwich, you can you know build it and then steam it as well just to melt everything together. Mm. It was glorious, man. I'm hungry. Yeah. Oh, dude, it, it looked glorious. I was, it's all gone, I was super man. jelly. I, I mean, I'm kicking myself <laughs> because I only made, I only made three pounds. You know, I should have made a batch. <laughs> I should have cleaned the freezer out. That's awesome. So I want to ask you, um, in the video, I was kind of impressed with your smoker setup, but I was trying to figure out what in the world that was. That looks like a industrial smoker of some sort. What, what are you using to smoke with? Yeah, that's that's an old hickory pits out of I believe Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. That's it is industrial. I mean, it's it's a commercial smoker. Uh, I used to do a lot of catering, like weddings and things like that, and we would load that thing up with briskets and pork loins and oh. um, everything else, man. But man, that thing is it's versatile. I mean, you can do so much on that. We smoke a lot of bacon on it. We we do a lot. And I believe that they make some they make some smaller backyard models. There's some guys on YouTube I think that that cook with the uh, old hickory pits. But yeah, it's uh it's not it's not like an offset smoker. Um, 
where you would just have straight wood heat. Um, you know, I know there's the smoker community, you know, everybody has their opinion, but when you're cooking a lot, you know, this is like a propane style gas and then it's it has a smoke chamber. In there. Yeah. yeah. It's blowing that flame in there. And then you can kind of, you know, get a feel for adjusting the wood, you know, the, the wood position and, and all that just to get the right amount of smoke. And we, we like to smoke with cherry. That seems to be oh. pretty, pretty solid one to go with. So yeah, that's old hickory pits, man. That thing's a, Oh, it was, I mean, the pastrami came out and I just, one of the things that struck me was I love corned beef and I'm sure I would love corn, corn venison. I've never had it, but what, something you said in the video was that the pastrami, that the smoking was like taking it like up several flavor notches. Oh man. Yeah. It was that good. Seriously. Yeah. I'm going to make some more. I'm, I'm determined now. That same thing should work with elk roast, maybe antelope. Yeah, absolutely. Same um, principle. Same principle, man. I think it would be great on some elk. Um, mm. I, I think it'd be worth a shot. If you have one laying around, man, give it a shot. Um, oh, I got more than like one. Like I said, Quinn. three three pounds. You know, three three to four <laughs> pounds. But like I said in the video, you know, a lot of guys opt to grind those, man. And there's just so much you can do with them. I mean, uh, I kind of want to do another video where you can do like a like a pepper style ham with it. You know, you can do a lot. Oh, um, with with the the hind hind quarter so well i think that's a huge thing quinn is that um and you mentioned this but in the past like we've had roasts and you you kind of do one of two things we believe it or not a lot of times it's like i don't know what to do with this so either i turn into a roast or i just cut it up and stew meat because we love stew it's not because the meat's you know not worthy of something better but this really gets to i think for a lot of guys in wild game prep one of the biggest things that I've heard from guys is like, oh, or, or their wives is, oh, I just don't like wild game. It's not that good. And my very first, my very first thought is it's probably not being prepared correctly. There are some distinctions with preparation with beef. Um, so maybe just hit on a few of those things. Like what's different than say just, you know, a corn, corn fed beef or something, or even grass fed. What's different? Yeah. Well, obviously fat content. You know, yeah. Um, and I've heard the same thing here. You know, people say, "Oh, it's 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 dry, it's it's gamey, it's this and that." And the gamey aspect of it, in my opinion, is well, how was the animal? How did you approach it after you harvested the animal? You know, right. That's that's kind of the that's where we start. As soon as you you know pull the trigger or, or knock an arrow and shoot that thing, then it's then it starts, and you have to kind of have your your whole freezer outline in mind. You know, how are you going to take right. care of this thing? I get so excited talking about meat, but I th I think for guys, and this is one thing that, that we want to do in the show and, you know, like with your video, um, so excited to share with people because we're all, you know, in the process of learning. And as I learned more, what the cool things you can do and the processing and you figure that stuff out, it makes me even that much more excited. Dan is... I mean, I know Dan has some some thoughts here because Dan is like the meat master. He loves to loves to cook. So my other question, and and Dan, you can help me out with this too, and and even asking Quinn some of these questions because I don't know very much about it. But brining, right? I've brined turkeys. I've done some basic, very basic stuff. But if you were to break down brining for people, what are the basic steps? I mean, as far as brine approach, it's just injecting that meat is in, in layman it's just injecting that meat with flavor and adding moisture that's all uh -huh. we're trying to do 
so we're we're preserving on one end and we're adding moisture um i mean other than that th what it's doing is it's breaking down those those tissues so they're more palatable right um, right that's that's the basic approach to brining um <clears throat> so with that you know we can take it a lot of different directions you know um like i said after you have a preserved cut like that you can you can rub it and let it sit for even two or three more days you're not going to lose any preservation there you're just adding more flavor so after you get it to that point to where it's cured all the way through then you can you can play ball with it and do whatever you want i mean it's pretty 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 cool i want i want to ask dan for your brining is that pretty much how you do your stuff and is there anything does brining ever get exotic? Exotic? Well, I mean, corned beef is about as exotic as I go with brine. I've actually made venison pastrami before. Have you? So, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's something you should definitely do. You know, brining uh, with uh, poultry, I think, is, is generally more acceptable than it is in the red meat world. Um, and a lot of the reason is because in red meat, you... I mean, you want to try to avoid getting your meat wet. You, that's what you don't rinse your steaks before you cook them, right? You don't get some ribeyes and you're like, I'll just give this a quick wash. <laughs> if you do, if you do that, stop, stop it. He's right. He's right. And, and yeah, you just, you, you want to get browning and, and really what happens with, um, when you're doing something like a corned beef or pastrami or a ham or something like that, is you're using the brine as a flavoring and or as a preservation method. And so country ham, uh, not country ham, what is it, city ham? City ham is made uh, with um, with a brine versus a country ham is a is a dry salt cured. Well, dry, salt cured yeah. yeah, salt cured. Yeah, dry brining is a big deal right now. That's essentially you just like salt your meat and let it sit. And it's doing a lot of the same things. What it's doing is it's drying out moisture from the meat and exchanging it for salt and the flavors that you put into it, into the brine. And so that's why corned beef tastes like corned beef and it doesn't taste like your Thanksgiving turkey, even though both are brined. They're different processes. And so you can yeah, you can get crazy with it. I mean, even with um if you get a turkey, a uh, spring turkey, you know, it's right here. You can brine your um, turkey breasts and use like, you know, your your salt and sugar, juniper berries and yeah, bay leaves and peppercorns and get, get, yeah, that's right. That's right. You can get crazy with it. Smoke it. Yeah. It, you, your your uh, spring turkey breast will taste like ham. I mean, like smoked ham. It's so good. It is so good. I prefer wild turkey to, to domestic turkey, actually. But like you said, it's it, it, get that thing in a brine, man. It just it, it's simple, and it's going to take it to the next level. You know, if you just try to if you just try to cut the, you get it off the off the turkey and go right to the grill with it. Well, it's going to be kind of dry. And I think, like Eric was saying, that's sort of the people's complaints, just because they, you know, they get it off there and they go right to the grill and they cook it hot and fast, and then it's just like, yeah, yeah, you got to treat the you got to treat the cut appropriately. Again, a ribeye. Everybody knows a ribeye. You don't want to you don't want to put that in a slow cooker. I mean, you're not going to cook that thing to death. You want to treat that with respect, just like you get a certain cut. Uh, one of my favorite things to do with a uh, whitetail backstrap, because a lot of times, you know, you cut it into steaks and they're kind of small. And so I'll leave it in like an eight or 10 inch section and you salt that sucker, put it in the fridge overnight. And then the next day, let it get to room temperature and I'll sear it in a cast iron skillet. And then I put a meat probe, you know, into it. And then I put it in the oven. And when it hits 125, it's done. You slice that baby up, put some finishing salt on it. Oh man, make a pan gravy in that skillet. Oh, 
little reverse sear that's pretty sweet man that's yeah that's that's kind of the way i like to do the back straps too and that's a solid yeah yeah and and there actually are roasts that you can do that with in the hind quarter you know you said like there are some that you can cut into steak some of the some of the roasts in the hind quarters you can do that same thing leave that roast and cook the roast to a medium rare Mm-hmm. instead of cooking everything to death. Cause I think that's the answer for, for wild game is there's this fear that goes into it. It's like, well, man, I don't know. Am I going to get worms or something like that from eating this? And so they just cook the snot out of everything. Yeah. Right. You know, we're going to grind it in hamburger, make it into jerky, and then I'm going to cook the snot out of it. And of course it's going to be dry just like anything else. You cook it long enough. It's going to dry out. So you should really know, like, and think about, where that muscle is on the animal and how it works. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think I was talking on the last episode, two of my favorite cuts are the shanks and the neck because of all the connective tissue in there. And if you cook that and it melts down, it is beautiful. Yeah. The texture is interesting. The texture is really interesting on the shanks. We've, we've done a few of those too. I, I kind of like it, but you're right. I like that point because you have to think about it as, as far as when that animal takes a step, that muscle, that muscle is engaged. And that's kind of the, anat- the cooking anatomy that we're trying to pinpoint, you know, um, back straps, you know, you're not, they're, they're engaged, but not as much as the hind, you know, so a lot more connective tissue there, a lot more engagement. So you're right. Low and slow with a lot of moisture on those, on those bigger cuts for sure. Oh yeah. What, so what do you think is the most underrated cut on a deer? I don't know. I would, I would say the neck do a lot of neck. I, I really like a good neck roast. I think that's an underrated cut for sure. I see that turn into hamburger all the time and you're just like, are you sure? No. Cause it's a continuation. Yeah, yeah. Even, even up, up to the neck, it's kind of a continuation of the loin. Right. So right. it's still yeah. pretty, pretty tender up into there. So, um, I would say that's probably one of the top, top cuts right there for sure that people kind of miss. The best way to do a cook neck. Like I told him kind of low and slow. Um, any way you want, yeah. you know, with a lot of moisture. And I, and when it comes to moisture, I always opt for like, if make some beef stock, you know, yeah, make some pork, make some homemade stock. I mean, we do a lot of that just cause we, we have so many, so many bones laying around, you know, but homemade beef stock will take your wild game cuts to another place. For real. I was going to say, have you ever made stock from, uh, from deer bones or anything? Nope. Never, n- never played with that really. Um, I guess if I was in a pinch, I would, I mean, I'm not against it, but I, I, if you have, if you have, you know, beef bones laying around, that's pretty much the cream of the crop right there. Oh man. Yeah. You're telling me. So one of my favorite things to do with the neck is when I'm, when I'm butchering out my deer, I make like a neck roll is essentially what I call it, where you'd start from the spine. And as you're removing it, you kind of keep it as all one piece and then you can um, season the inside and outside. And then I tie it together with butcher's twine. And then I put it into a crock pot with carrots and stuff like that, man, that's so good. You get it seared before you put it in there. Yeah. That's a big, that's a big one too. get it, get a sear on that thing. Maybe even if some guys like to like to flower it too, you know, kind of gives it a little char, um, you know, hit that and and get a cast iron too, you know, cast iron will take it, take you to another dimension as well. So I was, I I know I was like, okay, I am dying of hunger now, first of all. And second of all, I was wondering, I was like, you know what would just irritate Dan is if I asked Quinn what his favorite microwave deer recipe was. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! <laughs> you could you could tell me to get out now, Dan. That's fine. Yeah, I don't. You know what? You you microwave your your animal. Go for it. Knock yourself I have, out. I would never. Dan, do you do anything with the entrails? Like any liver? Do you guys mess with that at all? Heart? Anything like that? 
You know, um, uh, I mean, heart, I'll do heart, but that's, that's meat. Uh, I, I am just, uh, I'm kind of a chicken. What do you, what do you, do you do anything with the liver or anything like that? Kidneys? No, but the heart for sure, you know, and you can brine that heart. We were doing that last year during deer season and really, oh man, it's so good. Like, so, so what are you doing? You brining it and then, then what? Yeah, you're brining it. And then we did it kind of two ways. So we did it in our bacon, like our bacon wet brine. So mm. we threw that in there and we waited like we were playing with it like two to three days, right? Was kind of the point to where after that it would get mm. too salty, but thinly slice it and then fry some onions first and then, you know, or, or caramelize some onions and then sear the heart in there for like just a couple minutes. Oh man, it was so good. All right, we're gonna we're gonna have to try that. that. Sounds we're amazing. Gonna... I'm telling you, man. It, yeah, I, I mean, and I would just give a tip here too. Um, after you get the after you get the heart out of the cavity and everything, you know, kind of there's some connective tissue on top and things like that. Sort of get get it trimmed up, you know, uh, and uh, <clears throat> and then soak it in some fresh water maybe for two days just to kind of pull some of that blood out of there, um, and then go to the brine with it. Well, you know what? We'll have to we'll have to get the heart out of Eric's elk this year because he'll gut shoot it. So we know the heart's going to be safe. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, guys. One of the problems is uh, I always heart shoot mine, even out to a thousand yards. So it's, haven't eaten a lot of heart. <laughs> right. It's, right. it's gone, man. It's just... Dan. Why do you doubt me? <laughs> it's just a powder at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, oh, that's so true. So true. Okay, so last last thing I want to ask is, especially on elk, uh, but I've even seen this on moose. The, you can you can get some meat off the ribs, mm-hmm. right? But it's also an area where I I don't see people doing a lot with it. So wild game ribs, say like elk, or I don't even know if deer would deer have enough meat. I'm not sure, but what what would you do with rib rib meat on on a you know wild game big game animal? I guess if I was dealing with an elk, you know, you could kind of approach those like, uh, sort of prepare them like beef short ribs, you know, definitely not as much fat, um, on, on the elk. But, um, in my mind, I would, I would probably brine them. <laughs> Honestly, I really? would brine them. And, yeah. and if you could get a cover brine on them for a couple of days, and then I would probably go to the smoker with them for two twenty five for about three and a half to four hours, you know, depending on the size of the rack and how much you, if you maybe just kept the center portion or whatever. Um, but that's the way I would, I would do it. I would love to try that wild. I mean, with whitetail, um, we'll just seam those out and and we make hamburger out of them in all honesty. Um, I've had some folks maybe make some stew meat, but you know, it's it's kind of a tough cut. So it's going to need, it's going to need some slow heat and, uh, maybe three quarters of the way through the cook, you could wrap them up and steam them. Um, that works really well with pork ribs, you too, even, and, uh, steam those babies out. And then after a few hours, they'll be falling off the bone. Oh yeah. Well, that sounds amazing. Dan, have you ever done anything with the ribs? Uh, you know, I've smoked whitetail ribs before. Uh, the, they taste really, really good. Um, really the, the little meat that's in there. The, um, the fat though, the texture is different because with your pork and your beef fat, it stays, um, melted at your body temperature but whitetail fat does not it solidifies 
at, at your body temperature. So it kind of coats your teeth. And so if you can get around that, like having fat wax covering your teeth, like little mittens, <laughs> then, you know, it, it tastes great. But uh, hamburger, hamburger for, for that is, is just fine in my book. <laughs> fat wax, like little mittens for my teeth. Dan, that's, uh, is that a Wisconsin thing or what is that you? That's just you. You know what? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take, let Wisconsinites take the blame for that statement. That's all me. <laughs> That's awesome. Very good. Well, Quinn, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. Uh, as I said, we'll include links to your website in the show so our listeners can check that stuff out. And then we hope to have uh, the video up as well on our website. Um, so hopefully our listeners, I know I'm going to do it. I've got some roasts in the freezer and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be doing some uh, corn. Mine's going to be corned elk, not venison. But uh, Yeah, and you got to put some sauerkraut way. on that sandwich. You can't, you can't go sand sauerkraut. Oh. Come on. Where's the sauerkraut? No. That's on whatever country sauerkraut's from. That's not German. It's not allowed. It's German. No. Yeah. No. You know what? You know what? This show is over. <laughs> this show is over. <laughs> hey, I had a Czech grandma and she made it and she wasn't German. So Hungarian people do it. It's not just Germans, Dan. Oh, hey, by the way, before we go, a little Utah tip. Put that pastrami on a burger. That's a Utah thing. Oh. Yep. Do it. I like legit Utah or you made that up because you're in Utah? No, no. The only thing that Utah does uh, as far as food that's unique, yeah, well, other than fry sauce, look it up. It's good. Is uh, pastrami burgers. Oh, it sounds delicious. I'll have to try that out. Same recipe, Dan. You're doing a similar thing for pastrami? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Making the corned beef and smoking it and then, yeah, slicing okay. it up, put it on a burger. Slice it up. Put it on a burger. Do you put like yes, a sir. beef patty on there too? Oh yeah. Oh okay. Yep. So now I'm dragging the <laughs> episode the on. Hey, yeah, double, double meat. meat. Put some cheese on that. Love it. Not vegan. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we'll have to check that out on March 20th in Colorado, which is Vegan Day. So uh, <laughs> we'll be eating the the meat burger pastrami from Utah. Well, awesome, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, Quinn, thanks again for joining us. Thank you, guys. Take care. Well, thanks again for listening to this episode of the Wilderness Warrior podcast. Be sure to check us out at wilderness-warrior.com. You can go there. You can also sign up for our Patreon membership to support the podcast and to gain access to exclusive content and new gear, including pint glasses, t-shirts, hoodies, and more so you can sign up starting at five dollars and depending on the tier that you're a part of you get more and more cool stuff member exclusive access as well and again we'll include it in the show notes but we would encourage you to check out quinn bible's butchery salt and strings that's saltandstrings.com and support the work that he is doing there as well again check out our website you can find a video that quinn put together for us on making corned venison. He walks you through every single step as well as either boiling it at the end of the process or smoking it with a dry rub. It's absolutely amazing. Again, would encourage you to check that out. Until next time, live dangerously. Be wild and embrace the wilderness warrior way of life.